0: Welcome to episode twenty-seven of Super Entertainment for S- the Crossover First, on the Grand Null Network. Coming to you from Castle Wolfenstein, hosted by the TVCU crew. Joining me is James Boychuk, CEO of Eighteenth Wall Productions, and Chris Nigro, author and founder of Wild Hunt Press. And I am Robert Ironsky Jr., author of the Horror Crossover Encyclopedia. And we are the TVCU crew. Ivan is off on an adventure this week. Uh, the T V C crew are a team of crossovers who devote way too much of their time to connecting the dots to official crossovers and Easter eggs in order to demonstrate a shared fictional reality that we call the television crossover universe. So it's good to have you guys for the intro this week. <laughs> Welcome, Dave and Chris.
1: Good to be here. We're glad to be here for once.
0: <laughs> so um um before we uh, move on, I just want to ask you if you guys have anything you want to plug or announce or, or anything like that.
2: I would like to very lately announce the May release in, sci- in our Sherlock Holmes series, Science and Detection, Rob Perez for King and Country, which leaves Watson alone in World War I, trying to make his way behind enemy lines at the behest of the British Secret Service. He's trying to stop a German gas, which could wipe out all of Western Europe. But does he know the man who invented the gas? And since this is also now June, I would like to promote the June release in Science of Detection, which is Lisa and Gina Gomez's Moriarty's Final Problem title is still pending. It might change a bit, but the authors, I trust, won't unless they suddenly decide they need to change their names. And this one involves Professor Moriarty, Back from the Dead, posing as a police officer in 1920s London as he lures Sherlock Holmes into one final game. And that is all I have to promote this week.
0: Alright, Chris, how about you?
1: Well, all I would have to promote is, is to is to say, cue ominous music here. Wild hunt material is coming. Replicant, Centurion, Dark Origins, Moonstalker, A Night in Buffalo, and a few other interesting things, at least two. One of which will involve the Mega Rats from my short story, The Scurrying, that was published by Sirens hall Publications as part of one of their great anthologies and and ominous music
2: oh giant rats is that the story you submitted eons ago to one of the 18th wall projects that went nowhere Um. or is this a different giant rat story
1: I believe this is different giant rats because I think this one is, is pre-18th wall well, um, this particular anthology the I believe it it had to do with um post-apocalyptic futures and we had Okay,
2: a- no, because I was thinking of a uh, Mike Nero
1: story. Ah, okay. This one does involve Mike Nero. Okay. This one <laughs> This one involves a small group of human survivors trying to deal with giant rats. And I hope gotcha. uh yep, reprint the scurrying as part of that. Nice. I hope many right. of you think so. <laughs>
0: um, as for me, um, well, the, the horror crossover encyclopedia is getting a second edition, which will be out, I believe, in the fall from 18th Wall Productions with a nice new matte cover, um, some revisions to it, and a new fo- forward by um, Trick or Treat Radio and Elm Street Kid Movie Club's Diner Mars. Um... So I'm very excited for that. Um, additionally, um, I'm about halfway through *Television Crossover Universe: World and Mythology* Volume Two, the the book that I was going to quickly put out that seems to be taking me forever, and I'm about a tenth of the way through *The Cartoon Crossover Encyclopedia*, which is taking way longer than I expected. But hopefully, that's because I'm being very thorough. Hopefully. Um, and I, I am being very thorough. That's that's what's slowing me down. Is is that I, that I is my attention to detail, um, and uh, so it it may, it may take a little longer to come out, but it's gonna gonna be well worth it. Um, and it's gonna be really big—two volumes instead of just one book. It's gonna be two parts. Um, also, I wanted to mention that. Um, I, well, I wanted to thank all who are listening um, because our show is doing really well um, as, as, far, as far as the number of listeners we've been getting. You know, when we first started off the show, we were lucky if we had like 50 listeners a week, and now we get about 1,000 listeners a week. Um, so, thank you all for for tuning in to us. You like us. You really like us. Um, and this is also going to be part two of our first two-parter today. Uh, so, when we come back, last week we talked about Batman v. Superman and uh, Civil War. And uh, now we're going to dive into the rest of the DC and Marvel TV movies and and, uh, what's right with them and what's wrong with them. Uh, So when we come back from commercial, we're going to do that. And we'll be right back. And we're back. Last week we tackled the controversy that is Batman v. Superman versus Civil War. But how can we really compare those movies without diving into the rest of the TV and movies of DC and Marvel? So, warning, more spoilers. We're going to talk about everything that DC and Marvel has ever adapted to screen. So, turn this off, go watch everything ever made, and then come back. Or, if you don't care, just stay with us, because here we go. <laughs> so, um, I mean, clear, cl- clearly, the more relevant topic is what is currently being made, um, so we might not dive so much into um, the the 1940s Captain America
1: serial
0: <laughs> or DC's vigilante serial, <laughs> but uh, but I, I think we're talking more Marvel Marvel cinematic universe, DC extended universe, Arrowverse, and and perhaps even the X Men fantastic four franchise um the good the bad or the ugly so who would like to start off today
2: okay i'll start off agent carter was the best single superhero series being aired and even though most of marvel's series are much weaker here's looking at you Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I think they managed to pull out the two strongest of the pack, which are Agent Carter and Daredevil. DC, meanwhile, really excels at doing average and slightly above average shows that have a consistent level of quality. So while I wasn't super enamored with the second season of Flash, it at least had a secure, stable level of quality, unlike the second season of Daredevil, which was all over the map from A-plus to... Why am I watching this? I agree. I agree with that too. Well, we're not going to
0: have much of a debate if I agree with you. <laughs>
2: oh no! What's something really controversial I can say?
0: No, uh, I, 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 I would say, um, I, I, I think, I, I think what's hooked me to Arrow is that I've been hooked, that I've been following her for so long that I have, I care about the characters because the storylines aren't always great. I, 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 I think with the DC shows, I like the characters. Um, and I like individual stories And when they introduce certain villains. And I like the, oh, here's a character I've never seen live action before, and this is neat. Um, yes, that's But true. And, and I, what I love about The Flash and Supergirl um, is that they... They veer a little bit away from the the grim and gritty, um, and you know that that the Batman movies have made so popular.
2: Yeah, and of
0: course, which is, which is a is spinoff of Frank Miller and making comics grim and gritty, um, and they 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 lightened it up and brought it back to the Silver Age when comics are fun. Um, yes, and I and like I love I love the the first Arrow Flash crossover where the Flash characters are in. In, um, Star City well still Starling City at the time and and they're making a point about how like the Flash characters don't take things as seriously and they give everybody code names and you know well yeah. here in Starling City it's different and we're dark and we're angry and I love how they're like yeah we, we both exist in the same universe and we have very different tones and that's okay yeah, um, that's a lot of fun I, I appreciate that I, I liked I liked on the flash the Earth Two element. I liked how um, and as we said, spoilers, 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 um, you know, um, they really flipped the switch on Earth Two was actually what we would what we typically think is Earth three and Earth three turned out to be what we typically think to be Earth Two. Um, yes And I thought and I thought that was neat because when they first introduced Earth Two, they specifically made it seem like it was going to be what we thought was Earth Two, and 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 then they're like, "Ha, we fooled you!" Um, pulled the plug on that. Um, I I did like a lot of the the multiversal stuff, um, but yeah. I've always liked that comics. Um, I that I, some of the time travel elements in the Flash, like made absolutely no sense <laughs> yes so whatsoever and even when they tried to scientifically explain it it made even less sense <laughs> yes and like like Doctor Who's made, you know makes more sense than the stuff they tried to pull off um, yeah and Doctor Who is supposed to intentionally not make sense you know um, so that, that was a problem Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is excellent um of of the shield. I wish it were longer. The seasons had been longer, but at the same time, I completely respect and understand like that that they told the story yeah in in the and and that they that's all they need to do when you have a long season, you have to like drag it out and 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 they didn't have to do that because they only did like half seasons at a time yes. um. Agents of Shield, I, I think has done an excellent job. Um, you know, the, the the first season was less less about the Marvel universe, like, well, it was like, oh, we're we definitely part of the Marvel universe, but in a more gimmicky way. Um, but but it was really building on the characters. Um, I know not everybody lately is a fan of Joss Whedon, but I think character building is what Joss Whedon does best. Um, and I think he was very successful with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because I really came to love the characters. Um, you know, when Ward became a bad guy, I was like, what? You know, I was like <laughs> freaked out by that. Like, like, uh, um, and then, you know, as the uh, seasons came, once the first season was done, they became more comfortable with adapting Marvel stuff uh, more and more and introducing Absorbing Man and introducing Mockingbird and yeah, you know, bringing in more characters that weren't original characters um, and that weren't from the films and I really appreciated that uh, again just l- like uh, like I said um, before you know just seeing live action characters from comic book characters that I had not seen live action before is always fun for me um, I love how the stories play off the movies, like like an episode before movie airs will will lead into that movie, and then the next episode will be the aftermath of that movie, and that's just fun for crossover fans. That's just a lot of fun, um, and and even Agent Carter had a lot of crossover stuff, you know, despite it being in, set, in the you know in, in the time period it was. Um, yes. I thought Daredevil and Jessica Jones were wonderful. Um, I agree with your point about Daredevil Season 2 being maybe trying to cram too much stuff into it, um, which made it go and, you know, from week to week, it was like in all these different directions and they would like lose a story and then the story would come back and and we're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that, you know, um, that was going on. Um, But I love, I love. The core characters of Daredevil yes um, and Jessica Jones I loved Jessica Jones as a character um, I had never read Alias um, so that was um, actually coming into this completely fresh um, the purple man um, so he was just called Kilgrave in this um, David Tennant was a great villain he was a wonderful villain and because I mostly know him as the 10th Doctor, it was really slightly disturbing how creepy he was while having the voice of the 10th Doctor
2: (laughs) yeah, I've heard that, I've seen a couple Facebook statuses of people saying that watching him do that with that voice made them want to vomit or that they will never be able to watch the 10th Doctor's run again yeah,
0: and the thing is, it was because he brilliant, he's a brilliant actor. He was brilliant at it. And the thing, he was, uh, just like the Kingpin, he was, he was, uh, uh, the uh, Kilgrave was a very complex character who didn't necessarily see that he was evil. Um, even though he was a rapist and murderer, he, he kept justifying it. And, uh, like, he just couldn't see his darkness. And, uh, and yet, even though it was a dark, dark, dark story, it was still had its fun moments, and and it was just a it was it was such a complex like story, and uh, it was just so wonderfully told. Uh, and and from a crossover point of view, um, with Jessica Jones, and then with Daredevil season two, they dove more into. Marvel elements. I mean, um, um, there was a whole episode around, um, a woman trying to kill Jessica Jones because she blames all metahumans because her, um, sister was killed in the battle of New York. Um, and that kind of was part of the leap. Even though they don't talk about a civil war, things like the Punisher, very public trial. And, the fact that the purple man was there became like a publicly exposed and they had a support group for his victims. And, and, you know, he was a real threat. Those are part, those things are part of the reason for, for that registration act, you know? Um, and you know, Jessica Jones, they made point of why they have to keep their power secret because there's a government agent that tracks them. And if they think they're dangerous, they lock them away, you know, referring to agents of shield. And then Daredevil season two also introduced Rockton Oil Company which has also already figured into Agent Carter and and um, in the films um, which was the biggest like connection so far to, to using something uh, that was less vague from the Netflix shows. Um, yeah. And be- before I stop my rant I think the only other show to talk about is uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Um, Legends of Tomorrow um, is wonderful and bad.
2: <laughs> yeah, what's that's wonderful? Pretty
0: accurate. What's wonderful about it is the characters on the show interact. The interaction of the characters to me uh, makes it wonderful. They, they're taking the secondary, a lot of secondary characters. And they are exploring their characters, and in the first season alone, they had wonderful character growth. I felt um, plus it was very fun because again, I got to see characters that I wouldn't normally have seen. I got to see even if he was young, Perdigan, you know, I you know that that was amazing. You know, I, you know, um, so I, I thought I thought it was. I thought it was a blast. I thought it was fun. I loved I loved every episode, the story-wise. The, the overarching plot, though, was, like, made no sense. And it was basically, well, we need an excuse to go to the Old West and meet Jonah Hex. Or, you know, we, we need an excuse to... Um, you know, to um, develop the, the the love relationship between Kendra and, and the Adam. You know, every every episode um, was supposed to be contributing to this overall plot. But and even the characters would pull would would make mention of it because they would be like, "Rip, you said this, but now we're doing this, which makes no sense from what you said before." But even the characters were pointing out that Rip Hunter's. Uh, premise for why they're doing this every single week made no sense. So, even the writers were like, yeah, we know. We know. Just have fun with it. <laughs> we know it doesn't make sense. Um, and I guess that's why I, gave, I I give it a pass because, because it, it seems like the writers are self-aware. They're like, yeah, we're forcing this. And the, the Flash's second season... Sometimes the storyline seemed a little like forced and made up and like, oh, we, we just added this element that makes no sense. But, uh, we needed it to, to get this thing going. And, uh, just because it's overall fun, I, I give the, the the weakness of the plot, um, a pass. (laughs) But Chris, what about you? What do you think about the shows?
1: Well, if I can start with Marvel, um, I would say the biggest weakness with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is that it started out a bit slow. It took a bit of time to find its uh, mojo, might you say, but with the middle parts of Season 1, when it directly tied into Captain America Winter Soldier, that was nothing less than a keg of awesome sauce. That was the best injection they could have given by having a turn out that the entire organization that the series was based around turned out to be actually Hydra, and, I mean, due to a, a slow um, infestation slash infiltration. And imagine the man called Uncle, imagine Uncle turning out to have been uh, <laughs> actually, um, a thrush organization or or something like that. That was just a huge slap in the face that that the show needed. And then the few agents who made up the core characters becoming a little secret organization fighting the remnants of Hydra. And that just led into the, the next two seasons when we got the Inhumans... We got. I mean, the Inhumans was a brilliant idea from Marvel to take the place of the mutants, which they could not use. You know, due to foolishly selling off those properties to 20th Century Fox prior to Marvel Studios being established. But I won't go into that. Um, but the way they, they built the Inhumans, and in, in not only in the comics, but how that carried over into the show. Well, guess what? Now we have are mutant substitutes and it, it it works considering the suddenness in which they're appearing with that terrigen mist accident and then tying in with the Creek. i thought you know that the i mean the transformation of the character of ward uh that was a bit unsettling but it worked i mean a character we were, were we grew to accept as a hero you know one of those tortured hero characters in the first arc of season 1 turning out to be evil and then playing with our heads you know in one sequence his love for daisy may make him not evil after all but no he chose the dark side in the end so i think we're getting some good twists and i think that's what kept the series watchable whatever anyone may think of agents of shield it's remain watchable and as you said the characterizations that Wyden and his crew are known for has kept it strong. Agent Carter was a good spinoff. I had just a little trouble getting into it, maybe because it was a period piece, and we're go- and we're going back to a time where we're seeing a Marvel Cinematic Universe before it had any heroes. Basically, or after its first hero was gone. It would have been, you know, excellent if we got into the 50s where we could see elements like the 3D man and the agents of Atlas, like Gorilla Man, but mm. it, wasn't, it wasn't there. And I, I should say I'm thankful, basically, for Haley Atkinson. Her cur Atwell. At, yeah, Atwell. My bad. Thank you. <laughs> um, Haley is a wonderful actress. And she's not just easy on the eyes, but she's easy on the ears. And she's easy on the aesthetic component of whatever our senses are. Because she, she does a very good character. She's a very strong woman character, I must say. And the fact that what she portrays was so unusual for the 1940s, I'm glad that they played up that element. While back then they didn't think women were capable... And she's continuously proving them wrong while still having to struggle with the stigma. I think that's another good element. I'm glad they played that one up. And I'm actually saying now, I'm sorry that they're apparently not reviving it for a third season, but Haley said she is down if maybe, for example, Netflix picked it up. Now... And hopefully they do. Yes. And now moving on to the Netflix series. We're getting a different type of narrative, obviously, because we're not getting the week-by-week continuation. We're getting series that are meant to be binge-watched. And yes, they do fit a lot of things into it. I mean, the thing with Daredevil, it's trying to draw the line between uh, a a street-level superhero show and a legal drama. And we're getting a lot of the legal drama, let's face it. And if you like that... You know, if you like Spider-Man Meets the Practice or L.A. Law, you know, that's great. Except the characters, the main characters, really constitute a family. They do not constitute competing individuals. Mm -hmm. Even when both Matt Murdock and Foggy Nelson both, you know, obviously had feelings for Karen Page, the way it was dealt with, you know, it was still the brotherly type of love between Murdock and Nelson remained but the way that unraveled in the second season i thought that was both sad but an interesting development now did they fit too much into season two yes we got that legal drama with the electra story arc and with the punisher story arc that were all basically separate i mean the legal drama intertwines with things But unexpectedly bringing the Kingpin back into it was pretty excellent. We got that storyline, which tied in with the Punisher storyline. Overall, very good TV superhero cinema, despite its flaws. I mean, TV cinema, does that work? Small screen cinema. (laughs) Okay. And I do see a disconnect between the Netflix series and the ABC series, yes. I would like to see... Um, Clark Gregson appear as Phil Coulson on one of those shows. Um, In terms of Jessica Jones, what hasn't been mentioned yet, Luke Cage, Michael Coulson did an excellent introduction as Luke Cage. I'm really salivating for that series, his solo series, which I believe is set to premiere in September. Yes. And the romance between Luke Cage and And um, Jessica Jones, I think it carried over very well. I mean, I'm really hoping, is there a chance we actually get to see them married in the TV version and have their series merge? I think that would be interesting. It would change the dynamics a lot, you know, because obviously we're going to see Jessica Jones less angry and alienated, and that's a big part of her character. So would it work? It would be a different type of show, Especially since, um, you know, Luke Cage becoming a father—that was a big character development for him, becoming the husband and father, and then leader of the Avengers. How could this play out on TV? I'm not sure, but I am looking forward to Luke Cage and then the Iron Fist, and seeing it all come together as the Defenders. I wish it wasn't the Defenders. I wish it would be Marvel Knights, but all right. But anyway, um, <laughs> in terms of. Uh, now, the Arrowverse, DC is really trying something different with having its its TV universe be completely separate from its cinematic universe, you know, the DC expanded universe. Is it going to work? Is it going to be awkward? I'll give it a chance, but still, I mean, I would really like to see the TV characters brought to the big screen like what's been done a few times, like with the X-Files. I don't really think it's necessary to have a different universe. With that being said, I agree with Rob, the characterization has kept Arrow and The Flash going. We've seen some silly science, if you want to call it that, um, with The Flash, but I think (laughs) the, the drama with the characters really work. Zoom was an excellent and horrifying villain, but I really think that storyline was dragged out too long. I'm sorry. They had to keep finding ways of Zoom to cripple the characters so that they had to look for yet another thing to get out of in order to get back, you know, to get the six steps back they lost because of whatever he did to them last. Um, I was upset that, that the Flash's father was killed by Zoom. I really wanted to see him remain. I mean, all the tragedies inflicted on Barry Allen were horrendous. And I, I must say, though, that it, I'm going to get into Vixen now. As an as animated short series, it was really amazing that for the first time, I think, we have a live-action series being in continuity with, uh, I mean, an animated series. There are actually two live-action series. And then Vixen actually having a live introduction that acknowledged their crossovers in the series. I mean, and that little nod with uh, Oliver Queen saying, "Yeah, we had a rather animated adventure last summer." That was that was, as a certain friend of mine would say, "Awesome ass." And finally, <laughs> <laughs> finally, um, DC's Legends of Tomorrow. I'm in basic agreement with you guys because I, uh, in terms of, yeah, Rip Hunter turning out to be a con man in so many different ways. And, you know, first he's duping them for this reason. Then we find out he has another secret reason for doing so-and-so. So So I, I, maybe these were twists intending to keep us on the edge of our seats we did see a little bit of the budgetary limitations of bringing superheroes to the big screen, or in this case, the small screen. Sorry, because I want to see Firestorm use his his matter transmutation power. We haven't seen that yet. Oh, and oh. I, I,
0: have you seen? Sorry to interrupt. Have you seen the whole the whole season?
1: I've seen all but the series finale or the season finale thus far. Oh. That's why you haven't seen it. Oh, total <laughs> woohoo moment coming up then. Totally. I <laughs> had to hear that. And one other thing I want to, okay, Captain Cold, I know he's sort of out. I'm hoping he comes back. I want to see him use his, the full effects of that cold gun rather than just blasting someone and having them fall, you know, and I guess lowering their body temperature so they fall, and I guess. But, you know, I want to see that. But the characterization has really made that show returnable. And a few of the twists, like seeing the Adam uh, um, become DC's version of Giant Man that to fight that giant robot. And was that supposed to be a, a, a TV version of Mr. Adam from the Shazam Rogues Gallery? That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, either use I mean, yeah, they, 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 they I hit had it up. Yeah. That's what I thought, and you know, we even had that that symbol, the atom. I mean, that that nuclear symbol on the robot. So that was amazingly cool. They keep doing these little things that that base, or I should say, these excellent touches that keep us from getting ever getting too bored with the show. And I thought, and okay. They gave it the time travel was an excuse to introduce heroes from other time periods, like Jonah Hex. Jonah Hex needed that TV appearance to make up for the movie version, and yep. I, think <laughs> I think it did a good job. And and I I think it was a, basically a good little gimmick so we could see more of the expanse of the DC TV universe <laughs> slash Arrowverse. So overall, we're getting some great stuff on the little screen All right. to the point where I could, okay. yeah, I could live with those limitations
0: I, I agree with pretty much everything you guys said <laughs> um, so it looks like we're not going to have time to, to dive into too much into X-Men movies um, but I'm okay with that <laughs> um,
2: yeah I think that's fine it,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, that, that is about all the time we've got. Um, I just wanted to let everybody know to join us next week when we'll be talking with author Derek Ferguson. So if you've been sick of hearing us for three episodes straight doing discussions, we're going to have a guest again. Yay! Uh, before we end, I want to thank our sponsor, The Daily Bugle. I'd also like to thank our crowdfunding donor, uh, Elliot Gilman. And a special thanks to Tiny White and the Deadites for our show's theme music, Leaf on a Stream. Thanks to all who listened. Remember to subscribe to and rate our show on iTunes. And as always, everything happens somewhere. Good night.